This is the MyHeart.net podcast. This show is produced by Dr. Philip Johnson in conjunction with VitalEngine.com. Please welcome your host, Dr. Alain Bouchard of Cardiology Specialist of Birmingham, Alabama at St. Vincent's Medical Center, part of Ascension. Well, welcome to our uh, podcast at MyHeart.net. And today, very special uh, topic, talking about young adults and heart disease risk. How do we identify vulnerable population? And with us today, we have the great Dr. Pankaj Arora, who is the director of the UAB Cardiogenomics Clinical Program. He's director of the Cardiology Clinical and Translational Research Program. He's associate professor at the University of Alabama in Birmingham and Pankaj. Thank you very much for taking the time and, and being with us today. Yeah, thank you for the opportunity. Happy, uh, happy to be here, Alan. Thank you. Well, it seems, Pankish, that when we're young, it seems like we're in, invincible. Uh, nothing can happen to us. Uh, yet in a series of consecutive patients aged less than 50 years, uh, admitted with a heart attack, approximately 20% were less than 40 years. They had all pretty much similar risk profile, except they have more, they had less hypertension, but they were smoking and they had a history of uh, substance abuse. We know that at risk, you know, candidate, they should be having more intensive evaluation and management. Uh, we know that patients, for example, that have tobacco abuse, uh, a family history, a premature coronary disease, and we mean by that, you know, if you have a mom that has had heart disease before the age of 65 or a dad that has had heart disease before the age of 55, that's premature coronary disease. Or if you have FH, for example, familial hypercholesterolemia or diabetes, definitely you would benefit from early intervention. So how do we identify the risk in young adults? And this is a difficult question, Packers. That's why I'm I'm coming to you and, and let's say, for example, you have a patient that is referred to you, he's 35 years old and he has a history of premature coronary disease in his family. How do you evaluate their risk? Um, what do you, uh, how do you approach these young patients? Yeah, thank you, Alan. That, that, that's, a, that's a very interesting sort of an area that we focus both clinically and research-wise. Um, you know, as we as we as we like to think about uh, of this as a situation in cardiology, where majority of these cases or events are occurring in young adults with low or moderate risk factors, and we we give it a term called prevention paradox, which really means that that we are not able to identify um, the young adults who are going to have events using our traditional risk tools, and. Um, in cardiology, we have moved towards generating polygenic risk scores. And um, as you can imagine, the genetic determinants of cardiovascular disease may be due to a single gene variation, uh, like you just mentioned, such as in familial hypercholesterolemia, which are sort of termed as monogenic diseases. But the diseases that you and I see every day in the clinic, including high cholesterol, high blood pressure, or hypertension, diabetes, coronary artery disease, they have polygenic basis, which, which really means to us that the risk of cardiovascular disease is contributed by several thousand genetic variants with very small effect sizes. Now, each individual letter 
or a genetic variant may only increase the risk of cardiovascular disease in a very small proportion. But think about accumulating millions of such letters, which may considerably increase the risk. So the key concept that we have learned in last few years is that aggregated risk attributed to these common variants, these millions of letters, is comparable to that of a monogenic mutation such as those seen in patients with familial hypercholesterolemia. So if I was to describe polygenic risk, I would say it's a genetic tool that accumulates genetic variants with small effects into a single score. And it has been now been developed, well developed for all the traditional sort of cardiovascular risk factors, cholesterol, blood pressure, blood sugar, and for the corresponding diseases such as uh, you know, coronary artery disease, hypertension, diabetes. These scores are typically, Alan, uh, in the first iteration was derived from large-scale genome-wide association studies using whole genome sequencing data, which allows us to determine the risk of a trait attributed to the variant in the DNA sequence. Once the score is developed, it is validated into an independent cohort of individuals for its ability to predict a trait. And in 2023, we want to get this assessment of genetic risk scores for cardiovascular disease across diverse ethnic or racial groups, so-called multi-ethnic polygenic risk scores. Um, so we, we have base data, then we uh, apply the data into a target population, and then we validate it. So if you send a patient to me in the clinic, we are clinically using uh, a multi-ethnic PRS that was developed um, in, in a population and then tested and validated. We are, we are giving that to our patients. Uh, it is, it is uh, based on millions of variants in their genome, and then it gives a aggregated risk profile. So you will get a report or a snapshot saying you're your polygenic risk is 75th percentile or 80th percentile, and that translates into higher risk of events. And that, that doing that in itself, we have identified discordant bins with our traditional cardiovascular risk factors and also with coronary artery calcium score, which is something else we have been using in this population. So you're still in the process of validating the score and uh, and you're comparing it, or is it something that you, you use, the, the PRS or polygenic risk score? Is this something you use in combination with calcium score or um, combined with the risk factor, or is it actually superior than risk factors if you evaluate the particular patient's risk? Yeah, so we recently published for uh, blood pressure last year that it modestly discriminates above and beyond the traditional risk factors. And uh, as compared to CAT coronary artery calcium scores, the risk discrimination uh, is not there, and both 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 tools work well. We like to think of coronary artery calcium as an imaging biomarker, and uh, polygenic risk as your genetic markers. And you know the comprehensive integrated information in some cases is very valuable. Um, so in our clinic, we have examples where the coronary artery calcium score is zero and the uh, and the genetic risk is high in 30 year old uh, young adult who we would not have picked based on the traditional uh, risk bin 
So there is value uh, to testing in a comprehensive fashion because if you look at the recent data, Alan, the premature coronary artery disease uh, and MI rates are increasing by about 2% in young adults every year. So yeah. this is a population that has, has the biggest sort of yield or the benefit because, uh, because you can imagine the genetic architecture of an individual is fixed at birth and, and then these polygenic risk scores can predict the germline risk of developing a disease. This uh, polygenic risk score, I mean, it's, it's genetic testing, the same way as uh, what we've mentioned before, just a, you know, a swab and, you know, if you're in your mouth and, that, and that get is the correct. results a few, months, that, a few weeks later. That is correct. So either a simple blood draw or a simple swab and uh, patients get to talk to our genetic counselors because oftentimes in clinic, the question that is coming is if my if if a polygenic risk is high, what 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 implications does it have for the family members? And here it is not very clear. Um, in other words, it's not an autosomal dominant pattern that you know every other child is going to have this. Uh, it's not a yes and no um, heritability. It's not, it's, not, it's not the perfect inheritance that we think of um, for, for most of our cardiovascular genomics. You know, our, uh, the clinical cardiovascular genomics is for lack of you know, uh, better understanding, it's, it's all autosomal dominant. So if you have it, you, there's gonna be 50% chance that you're gonna be passing it down to your children. Polygenic risk doesn't work the same way, and and heritability estimates uh, go from anywhere from twenty to forty percent, depending upon the the disease, the risk factor, and and the kind of polygenic risk score that has been developed. So, uh, when when the earlier iteration got developed from Europeans, it didn't didn't span very well in other ethnic and um, racial populations. And uh, the latest iterations of polygenic risk is capturing a lot more than the first iterations did. So uh, we do uh, we do sort of cascade testing for very high polygenic risk, um, and and this requires extensive discussion with the GCs and uh, the patients with the genetic counselors. And and uh, as I said earlier, these are these are still getting into the main sort of clinical streamline um, operations. And, and in going forward in near future, we can imagine this is how we will be able to practice precision medicine because uh, there is increasingly more and more data that, that we and others are developing for association of these polygenic risk scores with uh, treatment response. For example, um, if you think of treatment and um, if you think if you think about blood pressure, the ACCHA guidelines would tell you uh, blood pressure from 130, uh, and that is elevated blood pressure and 130 to 140. They will they will say to differentiate between on the ASCVD risk less than 10 percent or more than 10 percent. So we applied the PRS in the elevated BP and low risk stage one hypertension as per the ACCHA guidelines and, 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 and looked at number needed to treat. So we have to give this information to 50 odd people to save one event. 
Um, so, uh, so there is value of using the score on initiation of antihypertensive treatment. There is work that is ongoing to test the score in resistant hypertension. And altogether, um, uh, on the research side, there is, a, uh, there is work that is undergoing to sort of test the score to see whether it modifies the behavior. So if we give this information, you and I for years have, have tried to tell our patients to do the right thing, exercise, don't smoke, but that, that behavioral change is very hard to achieve. So we are testing currently whether giving the genetic risk information or dissemination of this risk will change lifestyle behavior in young adults uh, who were high risk environmental risk, lifestyle risk to begin with, and will they change behavior, understanding their genetic uh, information? Because we have shown that DNA is not your destiny when it comes to polygenic risk in, in the blood pressure space, and this has been done in the past in the coronary artery disease space as well, that if you do the right thing and you have high risk, you can still reduce your risk. So I think that is an area that is uh, that that we'll see more and more in in cardiology being tested, as far as these scores are concerned for clinical application. Well, it makes plenty of sense. So you know, I think if I if we're if I'm a general cardiologist and I see uh, one of my young patients, thirty or thirty three years old, and with a strong family history, um, you know, I try, we try to calculate maybe their lifetime risk you know, using the American College of Cardiology app, for example. But, you know, I think if, it, if you see that they, this lifetime, lifetime, lifetime risk is high, maybe a good idea to, um, to really uh, refer them to your clinic, uh, get a um, polygenic risk score. And if that score um, is relatively high, then maybe worthwhile exploring further whether this patient should undergo a calcium score or not, because we know that in patients that are young in their 30s or 40s, but they have some risk factors, if the calcium score is greater than zero, uh, these are you know, very much increased risk patients and maybe a better way to see who needs to be treated with a statin and who needs to be treated with an antihypertensive medication, because you're talking about a lifetime commitment to a medication. And when you're 30 years old, you know, who wants to take a pill? And particularly, people are really reluctant to take statin or to take a medication that could have side effects. So what a nice way to maybe kind of target the population that is most vulnerable, that may benefit the most and uh, reduce, you know, their risk of getting a heart attack, maybe, maybe 10 years from that. Yeah, I say to the patients, Alan, in clinic, that, that there is a method to this madness. There is a quantitative method. Math is applied to this madness. So we are not going to want you to commit to medicines without understanding whether you need it. Absolutely. Thank you, Jarora, um, from the University of Alabama. Thank you very much for helping us maybe define who are the uh, who is the vulnerable population in our young patient. Thank you very much, Package. Thank you, Alan. To learn more from our team of cardiologists, please visit us at myheart.net. You can also follow us on social media by searching myheart.net on Facebook and Twitter. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss our next episode.